Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines, a podcast from The Independent. I'm Ben Kelly, and each episode we'll be speaking to our correspondents and other experts to better understand what is happening around us, across the worlds of politics, culture, sport, and more. US party conventions are usually enormous events, with thousands of delegates, hundreds of balloons, cheering, jeering, and maybe even the odd Macarena. But this year, they looked very different. Uh, Last week, we saw the Democrats who held sort of glamorized Zoom meetings to officially nominate Joe Biden as their candidate. And this week, the Republicans gathered dangerously close in the White House garden to kickstart Trump's bid for re-election. To discuss all this, I'm joined by our US reporter, Chris Riotta. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going? And Holly Baxter from our Voices team in the US. Welcome, Holly. Hi, good morning. Chris, let's start with you first. Last week, we saw the Democrats out in full force, airing all of Trump's failings and saying, you need to vote for us or Trump will destroy America. This week, we've seen the Republicans say, if you vote for Biden, he will destroy America. Um, Obviously, this hyperbole plays to both of their respective bases. Uh, What I'm wondering is, keeping that aside... What do the middle ground make of this kind of rhetoric? What are the undecideds going to take from what they've heard? I definitely thought that there were a lot of key similarities uh, in both conventions. I think that the Republicans and Democrats both found that fear kind of sells. And they're trying to target similar kind of independent voters, though perhaps while the Democrats are vying for this sort of centrist independent voter who may be on the fence about voting for, for Trump or Biden, Trump was really trying to sell himself to the suburban voter, much like Nixon did in 1968 at a time of really crucial uh, historic national protest. We're seeing the same thing uh, across the country now. And I think what Trump was trying to say uh, and his Republican allies during this week's convention was that basically, if you vote for Biden, they're going to come into the suburbs and they're going to uh, deplete everything that you have and your American dream will forever be gone. While Biden was trying to say uh, the United States as we know it will no longer exist if Trump uh, goes on for another four years. So I definitely saw those similarities. But, you know, how they tried to sell both of their conventions was also similar. You had Nancy Pelosi kind of saying that the Democratic National Convention was really a message of hope. uh, And that's definitely how Trump and his allies have tried to uh, sell their message. But I think a lot of voters uh, definitely saw this as kind of a a fearful two weeks of, of uh, political news. And you mentioned there about vying for the suburbs like Nixon did, and I've heard that quite a few times discussed. Um, that worked for Nixon, did it not? 
It did. You know, in 1968, during the convention in Miami, there were protests going on just blocks away from when uh, Nixon spoke. And we could hear the protests going on outside of the White House as as Trump was delivering his speech. You might you might have heard the, the kind of horns going on in the background. Those weren't from his supporters. Those were from protesters who were on the Black Lives Matter plaza just blocks away. So there definitely was this real tangible sense you know, not just to folks on the left and to protesters who are trying to sort of antagonize the president as he formally accepts the Republican Party's nomination, but also from these suburban voters, they definitely could hear this as well. And perhaps it did resonate with them, some of what the president was saying. I mean, he literally had an example just a few blocks away from him of this sort of unrest that makes a lot of Americans in suburban districts uncomfortable and uneasy. And whether that will translate the way that it did in 1968, I think is still yet to be seen. We have to see whether, you know, these suburban voters uh, trust that the president, the incumbent, will be able to take care of these protests as he's tried to bill himself as the law and order uh, candidate, despite a lot of this unrest happening under his watch. And Holly, we saw Trump's uh, speech at the end of the party conference. He wasn't just the only member of his family to speak. He had all of his adult children and his wife. It was very much a a Trump family affair. Um, It felt more like a family affair than a a party conference. Was Was that unusual when you look at the Republican Party? Yeah, I think Trump has made no secret of the fact that he wants to get his family as involved in his government as you would in a usual business. And um, we certainly did see all of the members of the Trump family, as you say, even right down to Lara Trump, um, who we barely ever see, and Tiffany and Eric, who also usually stay out of the limelight. Um, I think one of the reasons for this is because Trump has really been struggling with the traditional arm of the Republican Party. There were still a lot of stalwarts there. There was Ben Carson and so on. But equally, he did have to fill some spots. And those people who might have come out for him, given him a chance um, in 2016, were not all there. In fact, a lot of his party has now become uh, part of the so-called Never Trumper wing, including um, the Lincoln Project, which is a huge super PAC, which is essentially campaigning for Joe Biden this year, despite the fact that it's comprised of Republicans. So that's also one of the reasons why I think Trump wheeled out so many family members, and he also has a bit of a personality problem. There was a lot of concentration at the Democratic convention around um, Joe Biden's empathy, the amount of time he'd spent at churches, the terrible tragedies he had with his family when his wife and daughter were killed, um, and how he had grown from that. And there were a lot of people who came out um, to talk about Joe Biden's 47 years in politics and how many times he had called up the guy around the corner or the guy he had seen be hit by a car or the guy who he knew had broken his leg. Whereas um, Trump has a real empathy problem. That's something that we've known for a while. And he had to turn that around a little bit at this conference. And I think part of that was wheeling in all of the family members, getting them to lean on things, stories about their dad. Um, Ivanka Trump said that she talked about the time when Alice Johnson, who is a formerly incarcerated woman um, who Trump uh, granted clemency to, um, she talked about that incident and she basically said, you know, when my dad was able to let Alice go, 
he turned to me and he quietly said in awe, imagine all of the other poor people like Alice. And it was this moment that she constructed during her speech, which was supposed to show this huge amount of empathy that she then kind of bookended with incidences from her childhood. She spoke about one of her children building a Lego house, uh, a Lego white house, and then Trump putting it in the Oval Office and showing it to everybody who comes in. They were really pushing for the kindly dad, the empathetic guy, um, to try and get rid of all of those concerns that people now have about Trump's personality. Because at the beginning, in 2016, Trump's personality was seen as very, you know, hardline businessman, and that played to his advantage. But since then, with all the tweets and uh, the very controversial things that he said in speeches, they're now trying to reverse that a little bit. And I think his family was drafted in to help with that. Mm. I mean, he sort of discussed, you know, how great he was um, in all sorts of odd ways. I and mean, he was saying he's done more for African-Americans than almost any president and, uh, you know, very positive things about immigration. There was uh, some scenes of him swearing in some new citizens. And it kind of looked like a... T- totally different presidency (laughs) yeah it did it did and um even though obviously we did have the law and order and the screaming about um nine month old babies being ripped from their mother's wombs and the playing for the evangelical vote that he's always done and the hardline business stuff there was this vision of a completely different president a completely different kind of party and um i think the reality of that is um really best seen when you look into the people that he put up to support him. So for instance, um, the wife of David Dorn, who was a police officer who was killed by rioters and looters, um, was there and she did a very, very emotional speech. It was actually the first time that I teared up during the Republican convention. And I teared up a lot during the Democratic one. And it may be because my sympathies lie more with the politics of the Democratic Convention, but also there were not that many touching moments that were really designed to pull on your heartstrings in the Republican one. But this one really did. David Dorn's wife was sat there. She was very clearly upset. She talked about the death of her husband um, and she was there in the White House garden on the very end. And the story behind that is really that his daughters, David Dorn's daughters, really, really disagree with Trump's politics. They were very upset about the fact that their father's death had been politicized to this extent by his wife. And um, they released some interviews to the media basically saying to that effect. And so this kind of story of torn families, I think, is the real story in America of how Trump's party is looking right now. And the same thing happened with um, the evangelical vote, for instance. We had one of Billy Graham's granddaughters stand up on day two of the Republican convention and talk about how this long history of evangelical Christianity had really been supported by Trump. But on the same day, there was a big op-ed written in USA Today by Billy Graham's other granddaughter saying that Trump did not adhere to any Christian values, that she completely disagreed with everything he stood for. So the different party that Trump was trying to sell, even on that kind of micro level, is really not being bought. And I think that will have repercussions across America and will be playing out at American dinner tables and so on and through families. 
Hmm. And of course, the divide is not just between the two political parties. There's very much a, a chasm across America at the moment. The backdrop to this week in particular were the scenes of unrest in Wisconsin um, following the shooting of Jacob Blake, um, a black man, by the police. Um, and then the murder of two protesters by a vigilante gunman. Uh, Chris, if I could just ask you, uh, when we see these scenes playing out on TV, we think this looks pretty bad for Trump. You probably couldn't have worse timing to be having your convention. And yet, oddly, he manages to pin that on the Democrats. That's something I think that outsiders find hard to understand. And I definitely think that's one of the biggest conundrums of his re-election bid, right, is that he is trying to sell himself as the insurgent candidate. Uh, meanwhile, he is the commander in chief. He is the uh, he's the man in charge in, in the Oval Office. Um, he's the one who has total control over whether or not, you know, the streets of, of this country uh, are safe. So it is, I think, very confusing when I speak to voters um, for them to kind of wrap their heads around uh, the messaging that he has around this issue. Um, you know, it's it's alarming to a lot of folks that he's taken it to this very divisive level of calling the National Guard and creating this new kind of federal secret police squad uh, that he's sent out and his administration has sent out to cities across the country, um, examples being like Portland. And, you know, the, the sad, unfortunate reality is that this is not new for, uh, for Americans. Um, even during last week's Democratic Nation National Convention, um, there was still the pain uh, and, and protests going on across the country um, over, you know, police-involved shootings of, of black men and, um, you know, typically unarmed black men uh, and, and just black people all, all across the country um, and this sort of systemic racism uh, and institutionalized racism found in our police departments, which is also tapping into this kind of fear that, that uh, you know, Trump is trying to kind of express to to his voters. He's saying, you know, they want to defund the police. They want to get rid of the police. The, all of all of what you're seeing is an attack on on police and an attack on your way of life, your suburban way of life. Um, you know, that's, of course, not true. And when you speak to protesters who are on the ground, they're not calling for a total removal of police. Rather, they're they're asking for those funds to be allocated to, uh, you know, more domestic programs and programs that will help uh, remove um, sort of institutionalized racism uh, across the board. Uh, so it, it's, it is scary to have that sort of backdrop, um, you know, and, and to see how that's been manipulated by some uh, and, and used during this, you know, this highly watched political event. Um, and I, I'm sure that the repercussions will absolutely play into into the November vote. Uh, and I also can definitely see Trump taking this, uh, you know, throughout the fall on the campaign trail. And, and, you know, certainly if protests continue, I think you know, whether it will aid him or not, who knows, but he'll absolutely be using it to his advantage, I, I would imagine. And Holly, it seems like you know, going into this year, Trump kind of had a plan to paint the Democrats as being radical, leftist, socialists, and they're out on the streets and they want the police defunded. Um, and then they kind of hit a bump in the road when Biden and Harris came along because they're seen as being pretty centrist, but they're kind of going ahead anyway with just calling them all sort of, you know, leftist insurgents. Um, is that going to stick on the Democrats? Are they going, do people look at that and think, well, you know, Biden's one thing, but, you know, is AOC sort of lurking behind ready to, you know, take us down the wrong path? Is that something people will actually buy from Trump? 
That's such a good question. And that is basically what I have been wondering all week while I've been watching Trump and his compatriots go on and on and on about the radical socialism of the Democrats, because especially as a British person, having watched Corbyn at the front of the Labour Party, you kind of watch um, these two stalwart centrists be called radical socialists, and you almost find it funny, or it would be funny, (laughs) if it wasn't possibly effective. Um, I think they really did plan for Biden to pick somebody more like Elizabeth Warren to try and unite the two arms of the party, the progressive and the more centrist. And when that didn't happen, as you say, I think they still went ahead with a lot of the radical socialist narrative because it's very, very convenient for Trump. And it's very convenient and an age old policy for the Republican Party to paint themselves as um, the status quo, the safe pair of hands, whereas the Democrats are a risk. And that's clearly what they're going for with their Nixon-esque law and order type convention. But as you say as well, it really isn't going to work that well when you have Kamala Harris, who has this long political history in law enforcement, um, and with Biden, who also has never been radical. And so what they're now trying to do is construct this narrative about poor, doddery, sleepy Joe Biden, who has lost his mental faculties. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And as Trump said in his speech last night, he is now a Marxist Trojan horse for AOC, Bernie Sanders, and the radical left. And I think this is just a continuation of the Trumpian Sleepy Joe narrative. And it's what they're going to lean really hard on because they don't have any evidence that Joe himself is radical. Whether that will play well is doubtful because as much as Trump has been leaning on that and as much as they really warmed up to that theme throughout the convention, we now have four head-to-head debates coming up in September and October between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And Trump supporters are going to go into those debates expecting that sleepy Joe Biden will appear, that he will be inarticulate, that he will not know that what he's saying, that he will lean heavily on these policies that he's been told to talk about by AOC, um, that he will seem mentally incapacitated. And I don't think that that is the Joe Biden that Trump will actually stand up against. At the end of the Democratic Convention, Joe Biden delivered a 25-minute speech, which was It really was very surprising because we've never really seen him on form like that. It was very energetic. It was very unifying. It was surprisingly inspiring. And I think that he's really been preparing for these debates. And I think that Trump supporters are going to be very disappointed and possibly quite shocked when they see that the man who Donald Trump is going up against is actually not sleepy Joe Biden. He's a seasoned politician, he's empathetic, he does perform well on stage, and he is not radical. And at that moment, when Joe Biden simply responds to Trump going on and on about the Marxism and the Trojan horse and so on by saying, no, Donald, that's not it. That's not what I stand for. These are not my policies. These are my policies and then starts talking about the actual policies, which, of course, are not radical at all and nowhere near as radical as Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or all of these other people actually wanted. Then the people watching are going to be quite confused 
And I think Trump could actually lose a lot of interest there or a lot of voters when they realize that what Trump stands for is much more radical than what the Democrats stand for. And I think we'll see a bit of a flip over there where people start realizing that the radical party is still really the Republicans as it has been since 2016. And the Democrats, they have deliberately chosen Biden and Kamala because they want to play on that safe pair of hands narrative. And those narratives are going to clash and it's it's going to be very interesting. I, I would just quickly add to that, as having covered past uh, conventions and Holly, I'm sure that you've, you've covered past administrations and conventions as well. So you, I'm wondering if you, you agree with this, but just Seeing that speech that Trump delivered last night, talking about Joe as a tro- uh, Trojan, you know, Marxist Trojan horse, and the fact that he, you know, hugged and, and kisses supporters, as Trump Trump said, um, having the backdrop of the White House during this speech was unlike anything that I've ever seen at a convention before. And I've I've spoken to a few voters already who who started texting me last night, really saying, "quote This was beneath the office of the presidency itself." Um, so I. I I'm just really curious how that's going to play as well um, in voters' minds, seeing him, you know, really use this moment as as a campaign rally uh, with the backdrop of the White House. It was it was certainly eerie to cover. Yeah, it was very, very bizarre to see, I think. And um, yeah, obviously, there have been discussions around that, whether he's violating the hack, Hatch Act. And yes, him, Trump presenting himself as the sort of incumbent um, and with this backdrop kind of implying that he's the natural incumbent um, and possibly the permanent picture has definitely been, as you say, Chris, really eerie. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Looking at the messages that the two candidates are putting out there, um, obviously with Trump, it's, you know, give me four more years. With Biden, it's, I'm not Trump. Um, how could you flesh out for listeners what they're actually standing for beneath that on other issues? What are the big issues and where do they stand on them? So on the big issues, I think that Joe Biden is, um, as I said, remarkably centrist. For instance, with guns, which Trump has lent very heavily on, he's talked about your Second Amendment rights a lot throughout the convention. Biden supports changing the way that assault weapons are dealt with in America. So he believes that people who already own assault weapons should have to go and register them properly and that we should be moving towards a phased out ban of assault weapons in particular, which obviously does not include things like handguns and so on. In terms of immigration, Biden is actually, again, not hugely radical. The policies that we see playing out at the southern border are not solely to do with Trump. A lot of them were put in place by the Obama-Biden administration, either that or they were not changed when they inherited them. And so a lot of the chaos that is going on at the moment, including um, children being in so-called cages, um, is a legacy of that. And Trump has just sort of ratcheted it up. Um, Biden now mainly supports on immigration, never separating families at the border. So taking away those terrible images of children crying for their parents and so on. He also supports not deporting people who have served in the United States Army, but are undocumented. And he also supports continuing the Dreamer program, which obviously was also an Obama era program, which allows people who were brought to the United States as children to have a path to citizenship. And that's a program that Trump has said in the past that he wants to get rid of. Um, he has tried to and has not entirely successfully done, but has definitely almost done. Um, so these are these are policies that, again, would seem very, very centrist, very normal. You know, Chris, I was going to ask you about Trump. Is it, you know, is it finish the wall? Well, you know, what, what, where is he going to go next? Yeah, I, I think Trump, Trump sold himself as the defender of civil liberties and suburbs, I would say. Um, definite, uh, definite focus on continued hardline immigration policies. Um, and, you know, he wasn't really afraid to kind of take that hard line position on a lot of these issues, whereas he attacked Democrats for claiming that they were, you know, Joe Biden was uh, in support of abortion up until I think he said something like when, when the baby is coming out of the womb, just something pretty grotesque to say at a, at a convention. Um, you know, he, he was really not afraid to say that he's just totally in opposition to to uh, abortion and or to women's rights, uh, women's reproductive rights, which is really something that I think most Americans find common ground on. So it was interesting to see him boldly take those sort of uh, those stances, whereas, uh, you know, the Democratic National Convention, I would say, is actually kind of policy light. I, I do think that they focus, as Holly said, a lot on the former vice president's personality and empathy, though they did, you know, focus on things like healthcare and, and you know, saying that they are the stalwarts to uh, improve and defend the, the Affordable Care Act. Um, I think that a lot of what Biden showed was common sense centrist policies in terms of gun reform, 
uh, gun control reform. Um, that said, with with elements of progressivism, uh, and so I think that it was it was almost somewhat unclear whether Biden was billing himself as you know the the just kind of centrist antithesis to Trump, or whether he was kind of trying to be this progressive, hopeful candidate of the future. Uh, Trump has certainly latched on already to Bernie Sanders' speech from from the Democratic National Convention, but several Republicans spoke as well in support of Biden. So. I, while I think that Trump took this very hardline, uh, almost divisive approach, um, that Republicans have just seemed to kind of uh, support whether or not they actually support those specific policies. I think the Biden campaign and, and the DNC tried to keep it policy light to try to uh, appeal to the, the widest tent of voters possible. A really interesting way in which they sold abortion at the Republican convention. And of course, it's not a huge surprise that there were a lot of so-called pro-life people speaking, but they went very, very hard on it this year, um, right to the point of inviting a controversial campaigner called Abby Johnson, who used to work at Planned Parenthood, to come and talk about um, sweeping up feet fetal parts um, to talk about, you know, very graphic descriptions of abortion. Um, and the way in which they lent on it was very interesting this year, which was they got a lot of black speakers to come up and say that abortion is racist. And um, that was one of the only times that we saw the Black Lives Matter movement talked about at the Republican convention. It was a big push from a lot of speakers, um, white, black, um, any race to say that Planned Parenthood puts its clinics into low income areas where there are a lot of people of color and they try to eliminate people of color by reaching abortion quotas or trying to convince people of color, especially black people, to abort their children. Um, that was a really disturbing and interesting turn for them. Um, it was Obviously, they were trying to go for the evangelical vote, which is very important strategically to Trump in terms of the numbers that he needs to get in again. But they were also at the same time trying to hoover up some of that Black Lives Matter interest um, on the conservative side by really hitting hard on this. And as much as they're hoping it might convince highly religious black people, um, Trump also knows that he needs to get the white suburban female vote, which is dropping off the more that he talks about these sorts of things. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how those clash. It's really interesting to hear because, you know, it seems to me that almost the entire landscape of this election is is the culture wars, which, you know, Trump has been stoking the flames of and sort of Biden and the Democrats are fighting back on. I mean, they're not talking about taxes or foreign policy. You know, all these things are fundamentally coming down to, you know, what is America? Who are Americans? Do you agree, Chris? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's sort of how both campaigns uh, and both conventions in some sort of have taken their approaches to, to, to this election. Um, you know, Biden, as he has said from the very beginning, is in a battle for the soul of this nation, whereas Trump is claiming that the nation is going to be completely uh, something totally different if, if Democrats uh, gain power in 2020. Um, so as we kind of have already said, you know, a lot of the convention in, in terms of the DNC was just focusing on personality and empathy that I think speaks to American ideals and the best of America. Um, I think Democrats really focused on this sort of unity and, and kind of unified approach to, to tackling the next few years. Uh, and 
all of these sort of divisive issues that we have, everything from the coronavirus pandemic to the ongoing racial pro, uh, racial tensions and, and protests um, sparked by the death of numerous black men, um, often involved in police involved shootings. So uh, whereas, you know, they build this message of unity uh, and, and sort of positivity towards American ideals, Trump and, and his allies have sort of done the same thing, but somewhat opposite approach, saying that they're going to defend uh, these conservative traditional values uh, from attacks on, uh, from the left. Going into this convention season, in terms of the polls and who was in the lead and so on, we kind of saw Trump was a little bit on the ropes, um, especially with coronavirus and the economy. Um, Biden was sort of quietly confident in the lead, a few points here, 10 points maybe. After two weeks of it all, um, do you see that has changed at all? I, I've seen that uh, Trump in recent days and weeks has been closing in, uh, especially in some uh, crucial battleground states like Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, whereas Biden enjoyed significant leads, in some cases, double digit leads just a month ago or you know several weeks ago. It now appears that the uh, president is closing in on those numbers. However, as we should always say polls are just a snapshot in time. I could imagine both uh, candidates receiving a significant boost among their, you know, Republican and Democratic factions. Although I typically don't have much confidence that conventions and debates uh, really sway much in typical election seasons. Though obviously this will be something that will continue. I mean, the, the videos and, and the Zoom meetings uh, that were held throughout the last two weeks, while maybe Americans all didn't watch them live, they'll be used by both campaigns for months to come until November, um, you know, showing the best uh, of their own conventions and the worst of uh, the other conventions, the other parties' conventions. So I think that definitely we're living in a pretty unprecedented time where perhaps this convention has the opportunity to have a shelf life uh, in the media cycle that will extend all the way until November. Uh, as well as the upcoming debates, they may prove to be some of the most crucial, uh, you know, events, um, you know, uh, along the entire campaign trail. So at the moment, um, Trump is kind of, as Chris said, really creeping up in the polls. Um, I think it's been interesting to watch what happened with his polling over the last year, because he was enjoying very good polling at the beginning of the year and actually really, really good polling um, around February and March. Um, just before the coronavirus pandemic became obviously bad. And um, then he really dropped off quite significantly. And it was interesting to see during this convention that he tried to completely rewrite that coronavirus narrative. There was a lot about how he stopped flights coming in from China. There was a lot of trying to explain the deaths and the numbers from COVID-19 by saying that the US is a bigger country um, there was a lot of leaning on sort of uh, manipulated statistics about the death rate as well. And it seems to have worked a little bit um, since he sort of went down in the polls when people were losing their jobs and people were losing confidence in what he was saying about hydroxychlorine and this just being a little flu. Um, he has been steadily climbing up and that coincides, I think, with him constructing this new narrative, talking about how he was strong on China and in particular, he has been trying to wrap up that China narrative with um, referring to coronavirus again as the China virus, getting all of his supportive Republicans to call it the China virus. 
and to say that Joe Biden is China's preferred candidate. And he really wrapped that all up into a package at the convention. And I think that will be used to, as a stick with which to beat Joe Biden a lot. And it will be hard for Biden to come back against that, especially since Trump has things like intelligence briefings on his side. But it's also something that he should, um, two different narratives really, that he should seek to prize away from each other. Otherwise, it will start to look like people will start to believe that under a President Joe Biden, the coronavirus pandemic would have been even worse, when really, it's Biden's to lose in terms of the pandemic. He really needs to have his own very strong narrative to talk about how badly Trump handled this, because otherwise those polling numbers that are creeping up and up and showing that they're becoming neck and neck are just going to get worse and worse for Joe Biden. And we know what happens when those numbers are neck and neck just before an election. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's going to get much messier and uh, dirtier all the way to November. We'll probably discuss this again. Um, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you to Chris. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you, Holly. Thank you. I think I'm going to go straight back to bed. If you're a new listener to the Behind the Headlines podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And if there are stories you'd like to hear discussed on the show, then you can let us know at behindtheheadlines at independent.co.uk. You can also support this show and original journalism at The Independent by signing up as a supporter. Details of that are in the description of this podcast. I'm Ben Kelly. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.